Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. I want to thank you for joining me this week and every week for the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. I mean, you are tuning in every week, right? Well, I sure hope so. Each week, I share conversations with people who are making an impact in the world or tips and resources to help you create a career that you love and a life that matters. Today, I'm excited to share a conversation with one of my favorite people in the world, Carmen Hudson. I often describe Carmen as my girl crush because it's true. I'm a huge Carmen fan and have been for a long time. I don't remember exactly when she came on my radar at first, but I'm sure it was because she was making waves and doing interesting and innovative things in recruiting roles for some of the biggest brands in the world. Carmen has worked in recruiting and senior leadership roles for Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, and Yahoo. And while she's one of the leading thinkers and one of the most innovative recruiters you'll ever find, there's much more to Carmen than just her ability to stalk you, um, or I mean find you on the internet or in person. In 2009, right in the middle of the last recession, Carmen decided to step out on her own and start a new technology company called Tweet a Job. She saw an early opportunity to help companies share their jobs on Twitter and decided to jump into the challenge to make it happen. In our conversation today, she shares not only about her career working for some of the world's best companies, but also what it took to try to create a new technology company as a woman, a person of color, and someone who wasn't actually a technology whiz. She sat in rooms with investors and learned what they wanted to hear in order to invest money. She learned about bootstrapping and making things work, even when she didn't have any money. And most importantly, she learned that having a great idea that becomes a success is a lot about timing, funding, and scale. But she doesn't consider the sunsetting of Tweet a Job a failure. She learned a lot about the industry and about herself during that process and has brought all of those learnings and her wealth of experience to her current role as principal consultant at a company called Recruiting Toolbox. Since working at Recruiting Toolbox, she's also co-founded a national conference for tech recruiters called Talent 42, which is held each year in sometimes sunny Seattle, Washington, where she lives. As you can tell, Carmen is a woman of many interests and someone who wears several hats. She's smart, engaging, inspiring, and if you can catch her at the right moment, she's hilariously funny. I always come away happier and smarter whenever I get to spend time chatting with Carmen, and I hope you'll enjoy our conversation today. Well, welcome Carmen Hudson to the Impact Makers podcast. How are you doing today, Carmen? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. This is actually so cool. It is, you know, this this podcast provides me the opportunity to talk to really interesting people that I love. And of course, you are on that list. And I'm so excited that you've been able to join me and share a little bit about who you are and why everybody else should love you like I do. That's awesome. I am, I, I'm just I'm very grateful that you have editing capabilities because who knows what will come out of my mouth. I haven't prepared for this, so I don't know what I'm going to say. Those are the best. I love those. <laughs> well, let's start with maybe the part that you do know. Um, tell me a little bit about Carmen, you know, share with the audience uh, some of the things about you and your story. Okay. And it doesn't have to be about recruiting. It can be about anything, right? It, yes, absolutely. You are much more than that to me. Awesome. Good. 
Uh, so let's see, Carmen. I uh, well, I'm I'm currently living in Seattle, uh, married and um, work in the recruiting industry. Before that, I had a long life in the Midwest. I grew up in Detroit. Uh, went to school outside of Chicago. Lived in Chicago for uh, 20 years or so, and uh, moved to uh, Seattle about 20 years ago. Exactly 20 years ago, as a matter of fact, and. Um, I, uh, I don't know. What do you want to know? <laughs> question. Okay. Oh, I, I'm well, learning. It's hard to talk about yourself. Okay. Well, I will, I will make sure that uh, we draw out the good stuff. So why okay. did you end up in Seattle? I, I think, um, you know, that starts kind of an interesting part of your journey, how you ended up there. Sure. So I, a couple of things. Um, my husband, uh, well, back then my boyfriend, uh, and I just decided that we had lived in the Midwest for a long time and we wanted an adventure and uh, the West Coast seemed like quite an adventure and we checked out uh, San Francisco, which we loved. And then on a lark, we checked out Seattle and it happened to be a beautiful June day in Seattle. The sun's shining, the mountains out, the water is glimmering. Uh, it was just probably, it looked like heaven on earth. And so we moved to Seattle about six months later and uh, right in the middle of the rainiest season ever <laughs> uh, in the city, in history, in the history of the city, it was the rainiest season ever. And it, it what was heaven uh, was apparently hell and we just didn't know. Um, on the other hand, it had been my dream to work for Amazon. Uh, the, the minute um, back in the mid nineties, uh, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with the internet. It is, I think, uh, perhaps the greatest invention of all time. And I was obsessed with Amazon. The minute I ordered a book and it showed up on my door a couple of days later, I was just thrilled. And so I uh, wanted to work for Amazon when I got here. I kept applying, I kept applying. And there's a whole long story in between, but let's just say uh, two years later, I landed at Amazon. Interesting. So you you moved, you went to Seattle on basically Seattle recruiting day when the sun was out. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You ended up staying there. So so going for Amazon was not part of the reason why you actually moved there. It was just it, a goal it, to work there. It was for me. Okay. It, it was. I, I just thought that is the forefront of what uh, is going to be most important. And I, I wanted to be part of it. Okay. So what did you start doing at Amazon? How did you uh, end up there? I was hired. I think I was their first sourcer. It was strange because I showed up. Uh, the very day after they had laid off about 80% of the HR team. Oh, wow. So exactly. So uh, I had this uh, strange set of skills in uh, a department that had been decimated uh, at a company that was growing at unprecedented rates. So um, eventually we built the entire team right back up. It was uh, just a strange period in the history of the company. Uh, but I landed there as a sourcer. Uh, immediately fell into a recruiting role because that was the need and uh, eventually ended up managing tech teams there, managing campus recruiting teams there, managing non-tech recruiting teams. So I had a wide range of experience there. It was uh, trial by fire. Everything was brand new. We were uh, creating uh, everything as we were executing it. So um, I was, I'm very grateful for my time there and I love the company and continue to love the company. 
Well, let's back up a bit. You know, a lot of people, when they hear the word sorcerer, they might think sorcerer, what is that? You know, you mentioned a unique <laughs> set of skills. Um, sourcing is definitely an important part of talent acquisition, but maybe tell tell me and, and everyone else kind of when you started there as a sorcerer, what did that mean? Um, it means that I can find information on the internet, including candidates uh, who are appropriately matched to jobs and including their contact info and including, in many cases, uh, a little bit of a history and background on their career. So um, I pride myself in being able to, if it's on the internet, uh, I pride myself in being able to uh, unearth it, find it, share it. So, so don't be scared, people, but Carmen can find out anything and everything about you. Maybe what's the, uh, the craziest sourcing tip trick that you have used to find information about somebody that you're trying to recruit? Well, I think, well, actually it was, it was less related to the internet and more old school. So I needed to find uh, sort of a mid-level leader, uh, probably director level for um, a meat processing facility. And I was looking for a specific guy out of a chicken processing factory. And so I just triangulated maps until I figured out where he lived. Um, called his old employer to confirm that he had indeed moved to that area. And then just through the use of phone books and, and a couple of calls, I had him. So, okay, I take back what I said. People, you should be scared of Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> Use words like triangulation and <laughs> confirming where he lives. <laughs> uh, I did a, a five-minute Ignite presentation on... Uh, on a guy who uh, got his computer science degree at University of Washington. And I did it here in Seattle. The guy was working in Silicon Valley, and I literally put his life together. I knew much more than he would expect anyone could learn about him on the Internet, including his family history, uh, his siblings, where he went on vacation, what kinds of foods he liked. And I shared this story uh, in front of an audience of 300 people. And... Uh, uh, his friends were in the audience, and so <laughs> they they alerted him that there I had a you know, that he had a stalker. Oh wow! So you had not <laughs> talked to him yet. You shared that. No, oh I wow! Just, I, I blurred out you know any important information. <laughs> <laughs> so so how do you use that kind of information where you're putting together someone's life story in the recruiting process? Well, um, when I make a call to a candidate, I want to make sure that that call has the outcome that I'm looking for. So I don't always, um, you know, divulge up front that I know everything that, <laughs> about you, um, but I do use it to, to gain interest. And so it could be, uh, you know, I noticed that you play soccer, you know, we have several um, exciting leagues here in Seattle, or, um, you know, I, you know, learned that uh, you love cupcakes. And so in the closing process, I might send um, a, you know, a couple dozen cupcakes. It, it just, it depends on what's appropriate. You try not to be creepy, but yeah. you use it to develop relationships. Well, that's, it's always so fascinating to me how really talented people like you are able to, to find people. What is the probably most unique purple squirrel unicorn that you've ever recruited? A person with skill sets that you had to look far and wide to find? Usually they are engineers who have worked on specific projects and um, you know one of the you know cutting my teeth at Amazon was fun because uh, we were hiring people who had 
done, there were very few people in the world who had done some of the, some of the work that we were um, recruiting for. And so hiring people who had actually worked on e-commerce platforms where people would actually um, purchase uh, goods over the telephone in 2000 was just laughable. Of course, no one will ever buy every, anything using a telephone. So finding the you know six people in the world who were excited about this and actually had some experience in in, in that kind of thing was was really a lot of fun for me. Mm -hmm. So from Amazon, uh, where did you go from there in your career? I went to Microsoft. So completely different environment. It by then was a fairly mature company. So very different environment. Very corporate. Um, and um, I was there for 18 months and left, uh, read between those lines. And I went over to Starbucks here locally in Seattle. Okay. So what was the appeal of Starbucks at that time? You, you went to Seattle to work for Amazon because they sent you a book. Was it because you loved their coffee? Pretty much. I've lo loved coffee since I was three years old. <laughs> three years old. You remember. <laughs> I re literally, if my parents left a coffee cup on the table, I would drink it. Oh, okay. So parents know that about your children. You're starting the addiction young. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what were you doing at Starbucks? Same type of work? I, I was. I led uh, some recruiting teams. I led uh, sourcing teams there. It was interesting there because it was, uh, it was non-tech and it was uh, an interesting culture. Um, I had so much fun at Starbucks. I, and uh, they've, they've since uh, been a client. It's just a fascinating company in terms of what they built, uh, their approach to not only the product, but the workforce. So um, it was an interesting place to be. Yeah. And I don't, for those of you that are paying attention, you've noticed uh, for Carmen, the companies that she's worked for are pretty well known. Um, so, so far <laughs> we've got Amazon, Microsoft, Starbucks, but the journey doesn't end there. Where did you go after Starbucks? Well, I headed, we headed down to Silicon Valley. My husband got uh, a job down there and uh, I was at Yahoo after that. I was at Yahoo for three years. So did you actually move from Seattle to Silicon Valley? We did. And what a shocker that was. Uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, just a big differential in expenses and uh, lifestyle, but I, I, I liked it there. I, I, we had a great time there. Uh, it was uh, probably um, the pinnacle of my career in corporate recruiting. Mm -hmm. So what was it about Yahoo that made that kind of um, a pinnacle in a very stellar career thus far? Well, interestingly, it, I was there during the time that Microsoft tried to acquire Yahoo. So suddenly I'm being pulled into meetings where we're trying to understand what this means. And um, it was a very famous, very public, um, hostile uh, attempt to purchase the company that was fought by uh, the CEO and the executives. And one of the fronts uh, on which they were fighting this takeover was um, recruiting. So in the midst of all this crazy publicity, uh, we were given the task to uh, hire as many engineers as we possibly could and uh, do whatever you want to do to do this, spend whatever you need to spend to, to make this happen. And so I got to uh, do some really incredible things. Wow. So was it while you were at Yahoo that you kind of got the entrepreneurial bug to start something of your own? A little bit. It was, it was um, the... It just sort of coincided with the explosion of social media. And uh, I, I'll never forget Libby Sartain, great. She was our uh, chief HRO uh, at the time. And uh, some crazy thing, kerfuffle started happening on Twitter. 
and uh, she walks out and is like, what in the world is Twitter? And so went to figure it out and uh, got lost, uh, got lost in Twitter. Uh, from that you fell in, love, right? I fell in love, right? I fell in love. I did. I just did. <laughs> so what year was it that you actually started your company? Um, I started my company in, officially in 2009. Uh, I sort of uh, summer 2009, I left Yahoo. It was uh, the height of uh, just the bubble bursting. And I decided to start my own firm uh, in the middle of a recession. I love <laughs> um, it. Uh, start a business based on social media. So I, again, I think that's amazing. So you, you find yourself right in a, a high tech area in the middle of a bubble burst in a recession and you say, I'm going to start a company about Twitter. So that's tell, tell me what the company was called. Tweet a job, right? It was called Tweet a job. It was, um, I just became obsessed and I knew that in some way we would be using the platform to, uh, share information about employment, that it was just, it was a connection tool like no other connection tool. It allows um, just ordinary people to connect with anyone and everyone and to build a huge audience and to, um, it just made huge celebrities incredibly accessible, like Richard Sherman, for example. Richard Sherman just liked one of Carmen's tweets. For those of you that haven't been paying attention on Twitter, <laughs> Richard Sherman, the, the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. No, 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 not the quarterback. Oh, see, that's how much I know about the Seahawks. Oops. <laughs> He's an ex-Seahawk. but He's an ex-Seahawk. Okay. Still beloved. Still beloved. Still so, beloved. Yes. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I just thought that... Uh, there had to be some way of connecting job seekers with opportunities uh, on the Twitter platform and uh, ended up um, finding a developer that was uh, able and willing to build this out. And we launched a company and we had uh, a little success. And then uh, just like all startups, you know, we ran out of money and it became tough and it was the recession. And, uh, you know, eventually I sunsetted it, but it was, it was really a great experience. Um, and I learned more than probably, um, all of my career combined in those short three years, really, you learn, um, just, uh, what kinds of skills you can actually build on your own when you have not a dime to, yeah. to, uh, to, to spend. Well, let's back that up a little bit because, you know, I, I know a lot of people, but I don't know probably anybody who has founded a tech company in Silicon Valley. So that in and of itself is, um, you know, interesting and unique, but also to add upon that being a woman founding a tech company in Silicon Valley really adds. I was, I was in Seattle. I was actually in Seattle. Okay. Um, still you're kind of working with all those types and then, you know, so that kind of double triples the, uh, the challenge and, and things that could happen. And then on top of that, a person of color. So what was that experience like starting a tech company, trying to get funding, trying to make something happen, getting people to, to listen, et cetera. How did that, how did that go? It's very, it was very interesting. I had no idea. I was jumping into a world that I knew nothing about. So um, I think I started off at a, at a disadvantage. And of course, you would never, ever do such a thing if you actually had a realistic idea of what you need and what is actually going to happen. So, um, so it put me at both a, a disadvantage and an advantage because I moved forward blindly. I just, you know, I was like donkey and trick. Everything was just going to be great. Um, and I had the most positive attitude ever because I, I didn't, I, I 
really couldn't understand if someone didn't understand the, the tremendous value that I thought my product brought to the world. So um, with that attitude, I think I got much farther than I would have had I known um, sort of what all the, the guardrails were. Um, I think being a woman and being a black woman uh, opened some doors in some way just because people were curious. They were very curious. I think um, I, it, it was very interesting. So I, my CTO, um, which when you're launching uh, a tech venture, you have to have one of those. I didn't have one initially. Um, the way the product started was I had the idea that uh, we could actually post jobs to Twitter and uh, no one else was doing this at the time. And uh, I just thought we could automate this, but I wanted to test it. So I, I actually stayed up all night. I built a website. I'd never built a website before. It was the ugliest website you've ever seen. But I said, uh, I built the website and uh, sent an email the next morning. I literally did it overnight and sent an email the next morning to 200 people I knew and said, I'll tweet your job for five bucks. And um, here's my PayPal number. And I woke up the next morning and there was money in my PayPal account. So yeah, which was sweet. So then I'm like, okay, I've got something here and, and uh, this could be a, a, a great idea. And uh, I uh, immediately recognized, okay, the automation part, I'm going to have to deliver on that or this is never going to work. But I don't have a CTO and I definitely don't have the tech skills to, to build something like that. So I got a really good friend of mine to, um, she was the automation in the beginning. And then uh, init then initially uh, just decided, okay, let's let's stop this madness. We won't accept five bucks from folks uh, any longer. We're going to go and actually build some technology. I didn't know how I was going to do that or where I was going to get the money to do that. But I'm sitting in a Starbucks. It's really weird. My life just collides mm -hmm. in many strange ways. Um, sitting in a Starbucks and uh, I'm sitting next to a guy and he's got his, his laptop open and he's obviously coding something. Uh, and so I just start chatting him up, happened to be an African-American guy. And I started to tell him what I wanted to do. And he's like, that's funny. I just, uh, I just sold um, my last startup, which was a social media search platform. He sold it to Intellius, which was amazing. So at that point, I'm like, this is fate. You know, you have to do this. And so he said, okay, I'll, I'll give this a shot for a year or so. We'll see if we can make a go of it. I'm curious about the Twitter platform. And and we built this software that was actually fantastic. That was actually a great piece of software. I actually, I have never heard that. And I love that one of the best ninja sorcerer recruiters in the world <laughs> recruited a CTO through a conversation at Starbucks. <laughs> You have to do what you have to do. Right? <laughs> so well, it was it was amazing. It was a it was an incredible experience. And that's you know I I always um, have admired you and I I've been reading your stuff online before you even started Tweet a Job. But it was fun to watch kind of you learning as you went and sharing what you you were learning, but also again trying to to build something new in a in an area where it. It worked for a while and could work, but people didn't understand it, right? That was it. I, I, you know, we built it, and we were so excited that it worked. Well, won't everyone show up? And then I learned the hardest part of almost any internet startup is is acquiring users. So, uh, so we went about the business of acquiring users. And so I think at its peak, we probably had 150 people, 150 thousand people signed up to use the service, which yeah. I thought was a pretty big number. And um, it was, um, 
you know, nothing compared to some of the other products that are out there. But I think for a new service, uh, it was it was an, an accomplishment. I think um, had I had more savvy about how uh, the startup world works and how much money it takes to actually launch a product like that and how what you need to grow from 150,000 users to 1.5 million users, um, we, we could have made it work. But uh, I just didn't have that savvy. I just didn't have that knowledge and uh, sort of ran into a wall. But I did, it was interesting. So being a black female, I did get some meetings with some VCs. They were really absolutely just curious. Hmm. So were they, did anybody invest? Did anybody take the leap and go with you? No. 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 And, and, and we didn't, uh, I wasn't, I was savvy enough to know that I, I wasn't sure that I had a product that could sustain some substantial investment. Like I didn't want to find myself uh, in, a, in a bad position. So I went the route instead of trying to raise funds of trying to develop partnerships. And so I talked with every um, recruiting tech product out there about uh partnering and what I learned was they would all love to include my um, technology on their platform. They weren't all willing to give me a piece of the pie for it. So oh, well, I, I, just found myself, I found myself just boxed into a financial situation that just was untenable, but it was, uh, again, it was lessons learned and I had conversations that I just didn't know that I could have. Yeah. Well, I, I love how you framed it. You said you sunsetted the pro product. You didn't say you shut it down. I, I think most entrepreneurs always keep the hope alive, right? That uh, <laughs> The flame is still burning. <laughs> <laughs> it could come back. You never know. And, and I have no doubt that, uh, you know, we will continue to see great things from you. So, so from tweet a job, where, where did your career path kind of take you from there? Well, I needed to make money after that, <laughs> every bit of savings. So I started consulting and uh, eventually linked up with John Vlastelika, who uh, was running a company, a small company at that time, a one-person company, two-person company called uh, Recruiting Toolbox. And I uh, haven't looked back. been doing that for the last seven years. Seven and you, years you and John had connected first at Amazon, was that correct? John hired me at Amazon. Yes. There's lots of uh, interconnection in your, exactly. your life story, like most of us. So so since you've been at Recruiting Toolbox, kind of what are the cool things that you're doing these days there? Oh, it's it's um it's fun. No two days are alike. Um, although I, I do, as we were laughing about, get to work in my bathrobe many days. Mm -hmm. uh, the best. We work with... <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of clients, you name it, startups, um, big brands, uh, banks, financial institutions, uh, educational institutions, tech companies, you name it. And um, we, we kind of have a very narrow focus. So there are not many of us who do what we do. We really do help organizations take a look at their talent acquisition, either their process or their strategy, their technology. And uh, we do uh, a lot of assessment along those lines, and we do tons of training. We train recruiters and we train hiring managers. So and the the motto of re recruiting toolbox is we don't recruit, we teach you how to recruit, right? Is that we we don't recruit, we help you recruit better. That's it. I I got I was close. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so again, you're still kind of working with premier brands and premier companies and teaching their recruiters some of your unique uh, learnings and skill sets, but you are so much more than that to me and I think to the other people in your life. And again, I, I love um, kind of watching you from afar and seeing the things that interest you or that you choose to speak about. Um, so let's kind of maybe take a shift and, and talk about like what 
what's keeping Carmen up at night these days? Um, what is it that, that you feel like is something that's really important that we should be talking about and that you're talking about these days? Well, I think um, today, uh, coincidentally, is National uh, Women's Pay Equity Day. And we are, um, or is it national or international? It should probably be international. Um, for me, I am, uh, and uh, the thing that keeps me up at night is our, um, uh, our current political climate uh, literally keeps me up at night and, because I can't stop watching the news. I'm a news junkie. And uh, I think those two things collide in that opportunities for women uh, really need to match opportunities for men and that the world is off kilter because uh, our leadership does not reflect uh, our gender distribution. So mm -hmm. the closer we get to that, I think we have better run systems, better run companies, better run governments. And so that is something that I can go on about forever and ever. I think uh, once we sort of tilt the axis in a way that is uh, reflective of the people who live on this planet, uh, we will start to see balance in, in uh, all other areas. Sure. And obviously, that's a huge, complex issue with many moving parts. And you and I are similar in age, you're younger. Um, but, you know, I shared a little bit of my story with someone yesterday and, and recalled kind of being in my first two jobs, I was the uh, youngest person in leadership and the only female in leadership. And in my third corporate America job, I was one of two female executives. Um, so I've seen progress. Uh, we're probably, we're not where we need to be, but do you have any kind of solutions in mind or maybe one thing that we can do to really all of us start to change the, the mix of gender diversity in, in the workplace? Well, I think transparency is a big part of it, I think, and I think it's coming. Um, the European laws where uh, companies are uh, companies that are greater than 250 people have to report uh, their um, pay distribution uh, according to gender and race uh, is um, likely going to uh, land here fairly soon. Um, and so that will push us towards toward more fairness. I think technology is solving the problems. If you look at uh, uh, the um, pay transparency websites these days where people are sharing their salaries at a certain point it will get to the point where you can't like I will know what fair pay is for a specific role in a specific company so um, I'll be in a better position of negotiation that said um, you know there are a lot of companies out there mid to small size companies uh, who really don't have a huge obligation to this and so it's up to us individually it's up to us uh, as women to negotiate hard, um, but it is also up to men to prevent uh, the pay gap from happening as well whenever you're in, in that position. So um, I think we have a, a shared responsibility to get there. I also think technology is going to shine a light on some of the inequity and, and we'll be able to better articulate our needs. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think for many, um, you know, young women, people of color, uh, people in general, we all need people that we can look up to that are, are role models or someone that we can aspire to follow their path or learn from their journey. And I think I will be, you know, 100% honest in saying I think you are that person for a lot of people, myself included. Um, is there a way that 
That That's you, so weird to me. <laughs> you are that to me, Carmen. I, uh, well, you are that to me. So that's know it's a love fest here. Love uh, <laughs> but how can, you know, you and I, um, you know, as people who have had experiences, and again, a lot of your experiences are unique uh, for people similar to you, that how do you use what you've learned in your position and stature in the world today, whatever that may be, to help others, to bring other people up? Well, I think... Um, it's probably one of the reasons I was so fascinated by social media. And it's, you know, I know it's popular these days to bash Facebook um, and, uh, and social media platforms, but I use them in a way I share my life, uh, especially my work life. Um, but I share my political beliefs. I share a lot um, on those platforms because along the way I'm telling my story. And if anyone you know, is, is paying attention outside of, you know, the small bubble of my friends, um, they, they get to hear and see a story. I always, I, I always try to share um, just sort of where I am coming from. And I think from that, um, there could be learning. I know that I follow and watch a lot of people in the same way, and I learn a lot. I learn how to have uh, tough conversations when I go out and, uh, and I'm going in front of a VC for the first time, uh, all I had were the blog posts that told me what to do uh, and uh, the sample presentations that people shared. So, uh, and uh, for those wonderful people who shared that information, I am so excited because I didn't go in there and embarrass myself at the very least, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's what we can do. We can use our voices in a way to, uh, to actually... Um, share what we know, what we've learned along the way, share our mistakes, share um, what it looks like and what it feels like to be a consultant. I, you know, our, our flight mares and what it feels like to show up at a client and uh, not have anyone talk to you <laughs> after the class and you're just kind of sitting there alone in a hotel room. It's, it, it, it's all of that, but also the excitement of um, watching uh, a client uh, take your advice and achieve their goals. That's, that's exciting too. And, um, getting to go to exotic places and have uh, fun times with great friends. All of that's part of it. It's always important to remind people that for every exotic place you go, you end up somewhere and we're not going to name a specific city because they're all wonderful. But <laughs> you end up somewhere, small town, no food and a dumpster view from your hotel room. That, that's equal. Equal. That's equal. That happens more often. <laughs> I certainly don't always tweet about those experiences. They happen. Well, and and that's interesting that you bring that up. You know, you do share to some extent, as you said, your whole life, your political views, your your love of lamps and <laughs> lights, and that you know, it's what I love about social media. I, you know, Carmen loves lights. Um, <laughs> look, and up. Look, up. look up. Um, but is that something? you know, when, when it, it may be easy for you and I to share that because I'm self-employed and, and you're employed, um, you know, in a consulting firm with the, with a friend, um, can people that are in the corporate world, should they do the same? Do you think, or is that a different animal for them to share who they are on online? Uh, they may have guardrails and it depends on the company. Um, I think, uh, you have to push the boundaries a little bit though. And I, you know, I, I really do think that that's how I started in this. I started blogging a, because I wanted to understand technology a little bit better. Uh, and I didn't tell anyone that I was going to blog. 
So I, was, I think I was at Starbucks at the time and then someone internally found my blog as these things, you know, they're public. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I never, I, I don't feel that I'm, I, you know, when I was in corporate America, I was very controversial, but I, I definitely wasn't, uh, I wasn't reserved. So you can push it a little bit. You have to just understand the boundaries of where you are and what you can say. Um, I'm not a basher anyway, so I'm not going to bash um, other than our current administration. I'm not going to bash, you know, another company if, uh, unless there's just something really egregious to, to talk about. I'm certainly not going to bash another person or another professional. That just isn't the way that I approach this. Um, my goal is to explain and teach, probably because I just have that in my DNA. Mm-hmm. So I, I do that more than anything. So there's obviously pluses and minuses or upsides and downsides to putting your views out there. And I know recently, I don't remember what the catalyst was for it, but you actually kind of shared a Twitter thread and you you announced it in the beginning and said, here's, you know, sit back people, your thoughts on a diversity um, related to, I believe, the corporate world. Do, do you remember kind of that was maybe a couple months ago? Um, did that Did that net any response, good or bad to you or toward you? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's possible. I will tell you this. I get, I am getting, in fact, I got a, a, a message today where people want me to talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. So um, it's interesting because I, I, I am, I am overwhelmingly disappointed by most presentations about diversity. I'm overwhelmingly disappointed by um, most approaches to diversity and I have a much more radical view. Um, and I don't think you should even, use the word unless you're very serious about it. And I, I have a way of, uh, of thinking about um, what, if your intent is to increase revenue um, by hiring more diverse people, I think there are easier and better and more fruitful ways for you to increase revenue. And so get out of the diversity business. And so I will say that. And, um, you know, the diversity community gets a little, their backs up because this is how they're justifying it too leadership but i i just think if your leadership isn't on board with um approaching diversity as uh um as so i'll put it this way in order to be more inclusive you've got to come to terms with uh having been exclusive so inclusion uh starts with a discussion and a realization and an acceptance of the exclusion and if you haven't uh, looked that in the in in its face and understood uh, your role in that, whether it is we have excluded um, women from certain opportunities or uh, we have excluded minorities from uh, being hired at certain levels, uh, you, your approach to diversity will always have very meager results. So it's until you decide we're going to approach it to uh, in a way that we right wrongs, uh, you will have very meager, very um, tepid results. Sure. Now we all um, probably have our own stories in our career path, you know, myself as a woman and, and you as a woman, and again, as a person of color in the workplace, is there an instance in your career where maybe you, you were affected by that and, how did you handle it? You know, I'm sure there was more than one instance, but maybe one that comes to mind where it was pretty clear that that people were not uh, being diverse in their thinking that we involved you. Um, I probably it's why I do what I do. It's probably how I ended up uh, in talent acquisition, uh, and it goes all the way back to 
um, trying to get a job out of college. I left college, moved to the big city of Chicago um, after an unpaid internship and had no money, had to go find a job, uh, signed up with a temp firm and they sent me to an architectural firm. Uh, to be the receptionist or some kind of administrative work. I was very excited because I love architecture. I love art. I love this was going to be, this was it. Maybe I will go back to school and become an architect. I just remember all my excitement going there that day. And I remember the day exactly because it was the day the first African-American mayor of Chicago, Harold Washington, passed away. And the office was actually just uh, a few ways from city, a few blocks from city hall. So um, I remember so intensely that day, um, I show up, I tell the person who's there that uh, I'm here report reporting for duty, and uh, I'm told to sit in the lobby, and I sit, and an hour passes, and I go and, uh, you know, find someone else, I'm inquiring, and um, finally I'm told, oh, thank you, but we won't need your services today. And so I go back to the, uh, to the temporary agency, and I don't know what happened. The temporary agency kind of wouldn't look me in the eye. They just said, oh, we'll pay you for the day. And um, that was that. But I can probably surmise that it was because they just didn't expect um, a black woman um, mm. to show up. And uh, I'll never forget how that made me feel. Um, just, uh, you know, what is it about me? I could have done a great job there. And is this, you know, really feeling, is this going to hinder me for the rest of my career. Luckily, it didn't. Um, but there are those situations when you find yourself wondering yeah. what's happening here. Um, uh, is there uh, an undercurrent or a conversation that I'm not privy to? Um, and what I've learned over the years is to confront that directly. Mm -hmm. okay. So I, I sort of, um, the reason I'm not afraid to sh share whatever on social media, I decided a long time ago, I'm just going to bring my whole self to work. Um, and that is actually to the benefit of most employers. If they aren't able to handle that, it's probably not a great match. Yeah. So tell me about, I know there's a story around the first time that you got promoted to manager. So you, you, you overcame the temp situation, you entered the workforce, and then somewhere along the way you got promoted to manager. Tell me about that. Well, I, I like to share that story just because um, you know, I'm you know, 53 years old and I have all the confidence of someone who just doesn't care, right? <laughs> I, um, it's a great place. <laughs> it, it is. It's a great place to be. But I, I tell that story because uh, it was early in my career and I had, um, I'm working away. I'm at Amazon. It's my dream company. I'm doing work that I love. I'm learning something every day. Um, and I had no thoughts, no, I don't even know if it was a lack of desire. I just had no uh, really understanding that I could uh, move into leadership until um, uh, someone I consider kind of a mentor from afar, because I've always watched his career. Um, his name is Scott Potaski. He is um, an HR leader uh, at, uh, at uh, Amazon and has led, uh, was the chief HR officer at Starbucks um, and led um, uh, huge HR groups at Microsoft for a long time. Uh, he noticed the, there is uh, some connections there. Yeah. Um, but he, he, he just uh, said to me one day, uh, I need you to manage a team out of the blue. And perhaps this was um, part of some larger conversation. I had no idea. Uh, and it just stopped me in my tracks. I had never, ever um, thought of myself in that way. 
and I never even uh, considered what my next step would be other than taking on some other recruiting job. And so I share that story because uh, there are a lot of people out there who are uh, working uh, and uh, there are people all around you and you have um, this king-making ability, not that I am any kind of king or queen, um, but you have this ability to ignite something in people because the minute he said, uh, I, you know what, I need you to manage this team, I start to envision and imagine myself doing that and I didn't look back. But it wasn't until like uh, he, he, he shared that with me that I um, even envisioned myself in that role. And so, um, and uh, learned that it, it was actually kind of natural for me to, to lead teams. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit, uh, but um, I would never probably have said, I think I should lead a team uh, and raise my hand before that. So I, I just share that story because uh, there are folks out there in the position of um, taking note of some of their folks who are um, excited about their work and um, giving folks greater opportunity and recognizing people for their contributions. It's just one of the best things that you can do. Starbucks was great at that. Well, and I appreciate Scott uh, recognizing your potential and helping you to step into it. So that's awesome as well. I don't even know if he's if he ever realizes like what that meant to me. I don't know if I've ever shared that with him. So well, but, you know what? You oh, should tell him, Carmen. <laughs> I will. I will. Should, the next time I see him. <laughs> you should do that. Well, I know you're again, you're much more than your work life and, and you care deeply about a lot of issues, um, including you have some some things going on or some some work that you see that needs to be done regarding uh, homeless youth in Seattle. Is that correct? Yes, I am uh, on the board of directors of uh, Seattle Youth Care, and uh, Seattle's a strange town. It is uh, as vibrant a city as you can imagine. It's gorgeous, um, and there's tons of money here, tons of wealth here, uh, companies that are thriving here. And as a result, um, our housing situation, uh, we just uh, have um, just hit um, really the perfect storm where we have rising house prices, um, increasing uh, population, um, people joining the city, and uh, especially young people, and our, our costs are just um, overwhelming for people who are in you know, their first or second jobs. So we've got um, a, a rising rate of homelessness. Um, a lot of homelessness, though, is not, is not attributed to, to um, population growth. A lot of it is attributed to family issues. And so you find a lot of people of color, or you find a lot of um, LGBTQ folks who um, find themselves on the streets because of family issues or because of poverty. Uh, and uh, no young person uh, just deserves that. It's just um, at a young age and uh, anywhere from the age of 12 to 24 or 25 years old where you haven't had that opportunity to have stable housing and to get that first job and to navigate through all the things that we navigate as young people and learn our lessons. Um, it, it to me is a tremendous uh, problem, but it's one that can be solved. And it's one that should be solved if we want to end the larger issue of um, chronic homelessness. So if we um, help people when they are younger and give them all the tools to uh, to um, reach stable housing and stable employment, uh, we can we can uh, head off um, chronic homelessness. So, I um, I'm just passionate about this. Uh, you you 
see our streets with young people who are, um, they, there's a myth out there that uh, these people are young and they want to be homeless. Uh, that is not the case. If it's 2,500 bucks um, to get into an apartment that's far away from the downtown area where the jobs are, uh, and you have to come up with first and last month's rent, that is uh, an insurmountable uh, task for someone uh, who's at a certain age. And so um, I think this is, this is something that we can attack. We have uh, an amazing organization with an amazing leader, and uh, we're very vocal in our local community, and I love being a part of it. Thank you for being a part of that and sharing your gifts and talents with the world. So I know that there are people out there that maybe have not connected with you yet and can learn a lot from you. So where is the best place to find Carmen <laughs> Hudson on the internet? We know she lives there. Where can we find you? You can always find me on Twitter just about at any hour. And my friends laugh because they know that the fastest way to get a response from me is not to text me not to send an IM, not, definitely not to email me, but if you tweet me, I will respond immediately. I don't know why. I, I just don't know why. Well, we all um, have our preferred ways. <laughs> we all have our preferred ways. But you can certainly tweet me at PeopleShark. Um, you can email me, Carmen, at Recruiting Toolbox. You can link in with me. That's great. It'll take two weeks for me to get back to you on LinkedIn. <laughs> But, you know. <laughs> but I will, but I will get, but I will, I will get back to you wherever you find me. I will, I will connect. Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I love it for that reason. I, I, I uh, love your Twitter handle and it was your blog name at one point, people shark <laughs> using the powers for good though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining me today, Carmen. It's always a special delight for me to talk to you, and I love you a whole lot. So thank you very much. I love you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me. This is fun. If you want to raise your game at work, you've got to raise your impact. Find out Jennifer's 10 best strategies to make more of an impact at work at jennifermcclure.net slash 10 ways. That's jennifermcclure.net slash 10 ways.